0: Good morning on this rainy Sunday morning, huh? I hope you survived. Now, see, this is a lesson for you. If you had come for Sunday school in the first hour, (laughs) you wouldn't have gotten wet. Do you realize that? It's all of you that just came to the second hour that got wet. So there you go. Now you know. Maybe next time it's going to be lightning, so you better... uh... (laughs) I'd come the first hour if I were you. It's really good to be with you. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, if you have one, to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 52. And while you turn there, let me just say it's a great privilege to be back here at Orangewood. It's been a while since I've been around. I I have a ministry that requires me to travel a lot and to preach in other churches. And so it's always a privilege to be with you and a joy to see many of you that I've known for years. Isaiah chapter 52 is a wonderful passage in the Bible, part of which you probably already know, some of which you probably don't. So let's hear it now as we read from this God's holy word, beginning in verse 5. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus... These are words that your prophet spoke thousands of years ago. And we confess to you that living today, when we hear these things, we wonder what they could possibly say to us. We realize, Lord Jesus, that this is your word, but we also know just how hardened we are and how dull we are to hear your word. And so we pray now that Holy Spirit will come. And that he will fill us so that our blind eyes may see, so that our deaf ears may hear, so that our hardened hearts may be softened to love you more and to serve you more faithfully. Lord Jesus, we want this very much because we yearn to know you and to serve you. So please grant this grace, we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to think in your mind, just sort of imagine for a minute, the last thing you saw that was so beautiful, it took your breath away. Something so beautiful, you didn't know what to say. And you were left speechless. Can you imagine what that was? I mean, maybe it was a sunset, maybe it was a sunrise, maybe you, maybe you've done the glass walk out at the Grand Canyon or something. I don't know. Whatever it may have been, uh, maybe we even saw a person—a man or a woman—that was so beautiful it took your breath away. I don't know. Uh, I would—I suspect there are lots of things going on in our minds. You know, what would be something that was so beautiful that I've seen recently that it took my breath away? And even though I think there are lots of things going on in our minds right now as we think about that, I would be surprised if anyone in the room thought to themselves, "I know." It was breathtakingly beautiful when I heard about somebody talking about the good news of Jesus. I doubt anyone in the room even thought that. Even after we just read a passage in the Bible that says, how beautiful, that means it takes my breath away. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news. I wonder why that is. I wonder why it is that a prophet like Isaiah would think about somebody talking about the good news of the Christian faith. And it would take his breath away. But when you and I think about it, we yawn. I wonder why that is so. Maybe if we can get inside of his head. Maybe if we can understand what led him to that point. Maybe you and I can actually get to the point that we value this good news of Christianity, this message of the Christian faith, like he did. And maybe it will take our breath away again. Now, verse seven, that's that well known verse. Maybe you've heard it at Christmas time. You hear it sung in different ways by different groups. How beautiful are the feet of those who. ...are on the mountains, who are making announcements of good news and peace... ...and the proclamation of salvation, who say to Zion or Jerusalem, your God reigns. How beautiful that is. We know verse 7. You've probably heard that verse before. But verse 7 is actually sandwiched between other verses. So what we're going to do this morning is... ...we're going to look at the verses that come before verse 7. Then we're going to drop down and look at the verses that come after verse 7... ...and then come back to verse 7. To try to understand why it is that the prophet is overwhelmed... He's speechless when he thinks about how beautiful it is that the good news goes out, that the good news is told to people. Now, the first thing in the verses that come before verse 7, the first thing that happens here is that the prophet's going to talk about the world and it's not a very pretty picture. Do you remember what he said? Look again at verse 5. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord, for my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Here Isaiah is talking about a day that's soon to come in his lifetime. A day that's going to come within just a matter of a few years. It's a time in the Bible that we call the exile. It's the time when the people of Israel were actually conquered by enemies... Many of them died and suffered severely. And those who survived, most of them were taken away and scattered into other nations. It wasn't a good time. It wasn't a happy time. It wasn't the kind of time when you sang songs like we've sung this morning. It was a terrible time. In fact, it was so terrible that the powerful of the world ruled over the people of God. And they mocked the people of God. And they mocked the God of the people of God. And they blasphemed him every single day. This is going to be a terrible time that Isaiah is predicting. And it's a time that did occur in the days of the Old Testament. And the New Testament tells us that even in our day, even though Jesus has come, even though Jesus has begun to turn the corner on this thing called the exile, to reverse that situation where the wicked rule the earth, even though Jesus has begun that, still we're in a situation much like what Isaiah is predicting right here. That the wicked of the world rule the world. They blaspheme the God of heaven and earth day after day. And they oppress his people. Do you know that people who keep records of such things and who are experts in this tell us that there is more persecution now of Christians than there has ever been in the whole history of Christianity? That there is more suffering by Christians today than there has ever been in the whole history of the world? Most of us don't even like to think about such things, do we? In fact, most of us in this room live such insulated and safe and comfortable lives that it's hard for us even to remember that things like that are going on out there in the world, isn't it? I mean, I know we all have pain. I have it too. We all suffer in our relationships. We all have illness. We all lose loved ones. I know I know everybody in here has their own pain and their own suffering in this world. But what we go through, most of us, is nothing compared to what most of the world goes through. It doesn't even begin to compare. I mean, while we've been here singing songs in a nice air-conditioned, dry room, while we've been here these last few minutes, literally... Tens of thousands of children have been abused by people who are supposed to be taking care of them in this world. And while we've been sitting here, literally tens of thousands of women have been violated in this world while we have been sitting here in comfort and safety. And friends, many of these who have been abused and violated are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet we can sit here blissfully. Because we just don't want to think about that. <laughs> I'm a newsaholic, I have to admit it. And if I'm away from a TV or a radio or a newspaper for a few days, I'm going crazy to know what's going on. So I can remember one time being at a retreat and coming back toward the airport with my friend and stopping at his house along the way. And there I was carrying a box of things into his living room. And I set the box down and I looked over on the couch and there it was. Right there, staring at me, my hand began to shake. I had to have it. I just had to have it. The remote. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I got it and I started pushing the button. I gotta watch the news. I gotta watch the news. My friend's still going in and out getting boxes, and I shout out at him. I say, Hey, do you mind if I watch the news? He said something, and I just kept clicking. He said, Do you mind if I watch the news? He said, No, nah, we don't watch the news in our house. I said, What? What? He said, We don't watch the news in our house. I said, Why not? And he said, because it's only bad news. You know that feeling, don't you? You turn on the news and within five seconds, what do you see? Horrible things, violence, murder, terrible blights and plights throughout the world. Everybody, it looks like the whole world's just falling apart. I mean, isn't there anything good going on? You see that little banner pops across the screen. It says breaking news and you know, some huge tragedy in the world. You don't even want to listen. Put it on mute. It's got breaking news here. We know it's horrible. I mean, that's the way it is. And what do we do? We do like my friend. We tend to isolate ourselves from that and pretend like it's really not that bad out there. It's not that bad, is it? It really can't be that bad, can it? And so what we do in our minds is we take the wagons of our life and we start circling them in smaller and smaller circles so that we can have some place that is safe, where we can feel like everything's okay. And for most Christians living today in this country, that means we give all of our attention and all of our dreams and all of our hopes are wrapped up in me and me getting my life straightened out and If you're really super spiritual, you'll focus on your family and help your children too. And the world, well, if it exists, who can do anything about it? What happened to the Aquarius generation? You're right here. Don't you remember? This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Don't you remember? Harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. Don't you remember? The Aquarius generation, for those of you who are under 40 years old, this is the older generation. The Aquarius generation believed that the world could actually be changed. And what's happened to the Aquarius generation? We've become the most narcissistic generation that America has ever seen. The most self absorbed generation this country has ever seen. Everything is all about me. Everything is all for me. Everything is oriented toward me. And if you're a Christian, it doesn't change that much. It's still about my spirituality. It's now about my personal well being with God. It's now about me. And if you really are into Jesus, then maybe your children. And if you're really into Jesus, maybe your local church. It's time for us to do what Isaiah did. That is, open your eyes to see what the world really is like. That it is a place where sin is tormenting the people of God from corner to corner in this world, and where God's name is constantly blasphemed. It's no wonder that when Isaiah looked at that kind of world and saw it coming, that he said, how beautiful it is when someone finally brings us some good news. I need some good news in a world like that. And until you and I come to grips with the condition of the world in which we live, and stop thinking of it as a safe place and a good place, We will never embrace the wonder and beauty of the good news of Jesus. Now, Isaiah starts off with that kind of sort of ugly vision of the world. It's true. I don't like it any more than you do. I'm sorry. But he doesn't end up there. Remember I said verse 7 is sandwiched between verses? Let's look at what happens after. Because this is part of why he talks about having his breath taken away in verse 7. It's because of what comes next. Look at verse 9, for example. There the prophet says this. He says, burst in the songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. What a different vision of the world. Rather than a world where blasphemers are ruling and mocking over the people of God, what's happening now is that the salvation of God has gone forth to the ends of the earth. The same prophet saying, Two different things about the future? Yes, because now, rather than talking about the time of the exile that was coming soon, he's now talking about the time when that exile will be over, when it will be finished. When God's going to step into the world and fix things and make them right. Now, Christian people believe that God has stepped into the world and has begun the process of making things right. That's why we believe so strongly that Jesus is important. That's why we believe that his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven are so vitally important. It's why we also believe that Jesus is coming back one day because his work is yet to be done. Because all the ends of the earth must see the salvation of our God. That's the promise. That's the dream. That's the hope. But my, how Christians have lost that hope. Just as the troubles of the world cause us to find a safe place in here, we've also lost all hope that Christianity can actually transform the world around us. You know, there is a religion in this world today that does believe that it can transform the world. Did you know that? There is a religion in this world that does believe that its rules and its laws are good for the earth. There is a religion in the world that believes that one day they will have victory even over you and your children so that you will become a part of them and you'll be happy to have done it. But it is not Christianity, it is Islam. You wonder why they're so motivated? You wonder why they dream big? You wonder why they give their lives for this religion? It's because they still believe in that hope. And you wonder why we don't? It's because we don't believe in the hope anymore. We don't believe in it anymore. We sort of figure, well, if I can get saved and if I can get my children saved, that's good enough for me. If you were to ask most non-Christians you know, I mean most unbelievers, people that you work with or people you know in your neighborhood, if you were to ask them, what would be a good life? I mean, the kind of life you will be glad to have lived so that you, unbeliever, at the last minute, you could look at it and you could say, I'm glad I lived this life. What kind of life would they want to live? Well, I can tell you what most people you know would say. They say things like these. They say, well... I hope not to get divorced more than once because it's awfully painful. Um, I hope my kids don't get hooked on drugs. That's important to me. I need a good career, make some money. And it would really be nice if my investments did well because then I could retire early and do some traveling and those kinds of things. I know I'm going to die, but I hope that I can die with as little pain as possible. And the best way to die is to die in my sleep. And then after I'm dead, if I find out that there is a God and there is a heaven that I hope that he will agree with me that I was good enough to get in. Isn't that where most of your non-Christian friends are? Isn't that basically what they would say a good life is? Well, if you ask the same question to a Christian, I mean the kind of Christians you and I are, the kinds that believe in Jesus and the Bible and weird things like that, uh, what would we say? What kinds of things would we say? What would be a good life? The kind of life that at the last minute, in your last breath, you could look at it and say, I'm glad I lived this life. What would it look like? Well, if you ask most Christians that question, this is what they would say. I hope not to get divorced more than once because it hurts a lot. And I don't want my kids hooked on drugs. And, um, you know, a good career would be good because you need to make money in this world. And I'll give a tithe if I can do pretty good. And, you know, if I can do well in my investments, I could travel some before I die. That would be a good thing. But I'll visit missionaries when I die, when I travel because, you know, that's, that's important to me. But I'm going to die because everybody dies. And I know that, well, my, big, my biggest dream is just to die with as little pain as possible. And it'd be best to die in my sleep, to tell you the truth. And then when I die, because I believed in Jesus... My soul is going to begin to shake like this. And then it's going to to begin to sparkle like that. And wings are going to sprout on my soul. And I'm going to fly away. I'm going to fly away right up to heaven. And because I believed in Jesus, I'm going to be welcomed into heaven. And when I get there, St. Peter is going to give me a big old golden harp. And he's going to say, go over there and stand in that choir loft and start playing that harp. And I'm going to get to play that harp in heaven forever. And forever, and forever, and forever, and forever. You ever been in a choir? I tell you, doing this forever sounds to me more like the other side than it sounds like heaven. Doesn't it to you? I want you to hear what Isaiah says. He does not say. That the good news leads you to believe that one day you will escape your body and go to heaven to play a golden harp forever. Most people believe, most Christians believe, that their greatest dream, their greatest hope is to spend eternity in the celestial realms as if they're overdosed on Prozac in some kind of blissful numbness forever and forever. But hear what Isaiah says Isaiah says that the goal and the dream is to see salvation come to the ends of the earth. Jesus did not come to this earth. He did not die. He did not resurrect from the dead. He did not ascend into heaven. He does not sit ruling over all things so that you could go to heaven. Jesus came to this earth and went through all of those things so that the earth could be transformed into the kingdom of God. So that the salvation of our God would extend from one end of the globe to the other. That is our dream. That is our vision. That is our hope. That is the good news. So why are you a Christian? Is it so that your soul may be saved? Or is it so that the earth can be transformed into the place where God's salvation is from one end of the globe to the other? I remember growing up and being told a lot of adages by my parents, and one of them that they always told me that I guess there's truth to it. You know, you don't want to disagree with your parents, but what they said to me was this they always said, Rich, it's better to be safe than sorry. You remember that? Better to be safe than sorry. And you know what that means. Basically, it means don't take any risk. Don't risk anything because it's better to sort of play it safe, take it easy. Be cautious, and if you're cautious, then you won't have to be sorry for having made a mistake by stepping on out there and risking something. You know, that might have worked for Christians 50 years ago in this country. To play it safe might have really been a wise thing to do, because then what you end up doing is not wasting your life. Not trying things that fail. Just sort of play it safe. Keep it the way it is. It's no big deal. If Play it safe. You won't be sorry. But let me tell you something now. And this is the reality that you have to face. If your eyes can be open to the condition of the world. And not just the world far away. But the world right here at your front door. It is not safe. And if you play it safe. You are guaranteed to be Sorry. Do you believe that by playing it safe, you're protecting your children? Do you believe that by keeping your money to yourself and keeping your time to yourself and keeping your energies to yourself to protect them, to make sure your backyard is okay and to ignore the world is taking care of your children? Do you think that's taking care of your grandchildren? Do you think that's taking care of your great-grandchildren? My friends, I regret to say this, but I have tremendous fear about the kind of world that you and I are giving to the generations to come, and it is because we are playing it safe. This church in recent years has gone through great transformations, hasn't it? And aren't you delighted with that? But do you know one of the things that's happened in this church is you've stopped playing it safe. You stopped doing what always worked before, what will always keep everybody happy. You started doing things that were risky. You started doing things that were riskier than that. Well, it is time for more than 10% of you to be involved in that. It's time for more than 20% of you to be involved in that. This church could transform Orlando, Florida if all of you would commit yourselves to a radical transformation view willing to risk because you know that risking your money, risking your time, risking your status, risking your safety is not to risk anything. It is to give all for the goal that is sure to be accomplished. Isaiah says here all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And you and I have got to believe that again. You know what we used to think, don't you? We used to think, so strange, when you hear hear words like, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Do you know what Christians used to believe that meant? And they did this really until recently. They used to think that that would be accomplished by human armies. That human armies could do it. I mean, this kind of language is used many times in the prophets. And the belief was, well, what we need to do is get an army together and we can make that happen. We can bring justice and we can bring truth and we can bring salvation to the world. It really wasn't that long ago. Do you remember the battle hymn of the Republic? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You remember that? (laughs) I'm from Virginia. (laughs) Do you know whose battle hymn that was? It was the Union Army battle song, the Union Army. So as they marched through Richmond, Virginia, they were singing this song. As they marched through Atlanta, they were singing this song. Now, I have to tell you, as a Virginian, I guess I have to say this. I'm glad that the South lost the war. I'm glad we're one country. I'm glad the African slave trade ended. I'm happy for this, okay? So I'm happy. I'm convinced that that's important to say and to believe. But I'm also convinced of something else, just as firmly, and it's this. The Union Army was not the coming of the glory of the Lord. Salvation cannot be brought about. The deliverance of the world cannot be brought about by human armies. Now, right now, we are in a day where we are engaged in a war. And now this is a dawning of the age of Aquarius man, who's gone from being a peace nick to a warmonger. I'm very supportive of the war effort that we're involved in. Extremely supportive of it. But at the same time, I see one of the greatest dangers that Christians face today is this, that we believe that Islam will be defeated by ordinary human armies. And that human armies will make the world a safe place for our children to grow up in and for our grandchildren to find Christ in. And we will not, we will not have to sacrifice anything because our government can take care of it. Well, let me tell you something. As important as the government is, and as important as it is for us to fight just wars as governments, as civil authorities, I want to tell you something. If you believe that a government can take care of Islam, and if you continue to rely on them, and do not mobilize the church in the effort to reach Muslims, this is what's going to happen. Your granddaughters are going to be in a sheik's harem in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you don't believe me, oh, impossible, then I invite you this Tuesday night to come to UCF. I'm going to be having a trialogue, a public debate, as it were. You've heard the joke about the rabbi, the imam, and the Presbyterian preacher, okay? Well, come see the joke. It's going to happen Tuesday night at UCF. But when you come, I want you to take a look, because you'll be able to tell where the Christians are. They're kind of over there. They laugh at the Christian jokes. You can tell where the Jews are. They are over there. They laugh at the Jewish jokes. And you can tell where the Muslims are. And they laugh at the Christian and Jewish jokes. <laughs> it's a very serious religion. But what I want you to do is when you spot the Muslim group, I want you to notice something about the young women that are in that group and who they are. You might be expecting Middle Easterners. They're not Middle Easterners. They're your daughters. They're your granddaughters in large numbers. You don't. You think I'm exaggerating? When I tell you your children and your grandchildren are not safe and the reason they're not safe is because we are playing it safe. The time has come for you and me to believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is worth giving our lives for. That the building up of the church and the spread of the gospel in this country and around the world is worth every sacrifice it takes. This church cherishes a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechisms. It's a document that sort of summarizes what we believe in this church. And it was written, it's called Westminster because it was written in Westminster Cathedral in the abbey there in London. You can go, you can visit it. You pay 7 pounds you can get in. Your kids will hate it because all it is is a museum. And all you do is go from one gravesite to another to another to another to another. It is a museum. The place where your great documents were written is a museum. Meanwhile, six miles to the east in East London, there is a 40,000 worshiper mosque being built today. 40,000 worshiper mosque. Go to El Paso, Texas. The nicest church in the whole city now is a mosque. Go to Birmingham, Alabama, and there are over at least six significant mosques in Birmingham, Alabama. Sweet home, Alabama. Changes the sound, doesn't it? I wonder what that sounds like in Arabic. <laughs> and why is this so? It's because you and I no longer believe in the vision that Isaiah believed in. It does not have to be this way. We can turn it around. Sadly, we live in a day where the most popular preachers, the most popular teachers, the most popular writers, and the most popular Christian movies tell us this. Christianity is doomed to lose. That we must lose. Friends, if you believe that Jesus is going to lose the battle for the planet, then you need to change teams because he is not going to lose. He came to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so it's no wonder that thinking about that, Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful that is who proclaim peace, who announce salvation, who say to Zion, when Zion or Jerusalem is about to go into exile, who say to Zion this, your God reigns. The wonderful thing about the Easter season and the days that we live in after the days of Easter is this. We know who is in charge of this earth. We know who controls this earth. We know whose cause is going to win. His name is Jesus, the risen Lord. And we have no reason to fear anything being accomplished except what he has ordained to be accomplished. Your God, your King Jesus reigns over the earth. So no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what the cost, it is time for you and me to stop living our private religion, stop living our private spirituality, Stop living our Christianity for ourselves. Stop seeing it as something that will fix us either financially or psychologically and begin to see that the Christian faith equips us by power of Holy Spirit to reach the world for Jesus. And this is our dream. This is our goal. This is our destiny. Now let's go live the destiny. I ask you, tell me something that's so beautiful it takes your breath away. Well, if you believe the world is going down the tubes, does it take your breath away to hear somebody tell you, no, it's not. If you believe that maybe there could be a future out there, somebody could just find the way to turn the world around, if they could just find the way, does it take your breath away to hear what the way is? The way is Jesus. The way is following him. The way is giving your life to him. And the world can be transformed. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who announce salvation, who proclaim to Zion, your God reigns. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we confess to you that many times we are not, we are not convinced. And we would rather live our little private lives feeling safe but now we come to you and say we know we're not safe and we know our children are not and we know our grandchildren are not so we need Holy Spirit now to empower us as he empowered the apostles thousands of years ago to give our lives in service to your good news at whatever cost, at whatever sacrifice, so that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Would you please do that for us, Lord Jesus? Without Holy Spirit doing this, we are without hope. Amen.